so grateful for Rachel. Not only is she very talented, but she's willing to use that for Jesus. And that's a, that's a big deal. So grateful for that. Matter of fact, the message today deals with being a disciple who is a follower of Christ. And, you know, we're all quirky. And we all have our stuff. And I, matter of fact, I was thinking that Atticus and I were talking about that floating bear that David had there. And I was just thinking about this. I, that's cool, but I don't want to wake up and see my teddy bear floating over me. <laughs> that might cause problems for me. <laughs> no, but uh, anyway, let, let's uh, stand in God's honor. I want to read this morning from our text. It's uh, Mark chapter 6 where Jesus sends out those who followed him. Uh, We're going to read 7 through 13 and then verse 30 in God's honor. Calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this group of guys that we have reimagined as we've chosen. God, they're guys just like us, Lord. Just sat with you, walked with you, ate with you, hung out with you. And then there came a time where they were called to leave the comfort zone and step out. Father, uh, what about me? What about each of us here? Thank you that we're able to come, Lord, and to be reminded of you and those who followed you. Father, where do you want us to go? Where are you calling us to, Lord? It doesn't have to be across the world. It might be across the street. Where? So, so, God, as we look at this time of, you know, cutting the cord and setting out the guys to be missionaries and uh, to be plugged in to your call, uh, Father, speak to us. Holy Spirit, have your way as we are reminded of how they stepped out. Uh, give us courage, too, to step out to your call. In Christ's name we pray, amen. These guys had been hanging out with Jesus Christ for two years. They had been under his teaching, and what a great time that was for them because they saw firsthand the Messiah. But there came a time that they had to step out. There came a time where all of that teaching had culminated and brought them to a place where it was their turn to step out 
and to follow and to use what Jesus had invested in you. And, and that's what this describes in this passage. I think about the, the toughness of first times. Uh, I was eight years old, first time I got on an airplane. And the only vacation that we really took when I was a kid was that we would uh, go to Muskogee, Oklahoma every year in the summer. My dad uh, served in World War II, and he would go to spend with his army buddies. And so we'd spend time with their families. And I can still remember at eight years old getting on that airplane and sitting down. Stewardess came by and handed me my own set of wings. God was proud of that, those big ones, of course. And pinned it on my shirt. And then I heard the noise of the engines, and I thought, was this a good idea? But the plane got off the ground, and I managed to get to Muskogee, Oklahoma safely, and eventually back home safely. What about that first time that you fell in love? Or that first date with your now spouse? You know, I, I remember when I met Cindy or uh, I was sitting uh, with a friend. We were looking through, we called it the funny book, but it was the seminary yearbook. And we came across her picture. He went to college with her. This guy's his name is Ken. Ken started telling me about her, and I thought, whoa, you know, I need to call her. So I was nervous. I called her. She said yes to meeting. We went out on a date at the Black Eyed Pea. I still describe this, the Black Eyed Pea, and people think we went to a Black Eyed Pea concert. But that's not what happened. It was actually this restaurant. Uh, anyway, we went to the restaurant. What followed was a long conversation where we enjoyed being together. And praise be to God. She went out with me again and again and again. And hey, married. And now to hear her tell it, it wasn't quite so smooth. Uh, I called her up and her first impression of me was he sounds like Gomer Pyle. That doesn't do a lot for the male ego <laughs> to be compared to Gomer Pyle. And then when I tried to find where she lived, she lived with some friends in a trailer park, and I didn't see her outside, so I drove around and around and around looking for her, and I'm sure she thought he does not have a lot of confidence, does he? He goes only in circles. Uh, but you know what? It'll be 34 years in January, so maybe it wasn't such a bad decision. We were still together and, and love each other. But that first time was a little scary. And I imagine it was frightening for these guys as they headed out. Yeah, you had Simon Peter, and you know how, how Peter is. He, he's probably thinking, oh, let's go, finally, it's time. And then you had Thomas, who probably just about fainted. And Philip, who thought, what have I got myself into? And yet, these guys headed out under the authority of Christ. Now, I, I want to uh, look at some qualities these guys showed. Uh, to begin with, if we look in a parallel passage in Luke chapter 10, it begins by telling us that the Lord appointed 70 others. So it wasn't just these 12 that went out. And the word send literally is the word we get our word apostle from. So they were ones that were sent out to follow Christ and to spread the message 
of Christ. And he sent them out in pairs. Now I'm going to look first three qualities here. The first one is they had a willingness. I mean, you know, they could have said after two years of intensive study, well, you know, I think I've done my part. It's time to go home. This was nice. See you, Jesus. But no, they decided to follow through. And there are many today, it seems like in our churches, Nance Havner used to call them Holly and Lily Christians. You know, they show up on uh, Easter and Christmas, but then you almost have to hire a private investigator at times to know where they are the other times of the year. But these guys had a willingness to get out of the stands and to get in the game in obedience and to follow. They had a willingness. Think of what Jesus said in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? But they had a willingness to say yes. I know years ago when Cindy was sharing Christ with a relative of, of mine and uh, just you know, laid it out there, the gospel, and this relative said, Well, that sounds nice, but nobody's going to be my boss. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. But when it comes to Christ, he is Lord. We come to him as Savior to receive him in our hearts. But if we want life that is everlasting and that is to the full, that is a maximum type of life day by day, we have to say yes and submit and surrender to him. They had that willingness, and we need to have that willingness as well. Second quality that was showed was abandonment, <laughs> what they gave up. Now, he sent them out two by two. What are some possible reasons for that? Well, first, I think maybe it was for balance. You know, you, you got those guys like Simon Peter who are, you know, ready to charge, but then you got other guys who, you know, are not so, not so ready, and maybe we can balance these out and have a good perspective so they can go forward. And secondly is just encouragement. Man, sometimes you just need to be encouraged. You need somebody next to you to cheer you on and to push you forward. And, and that's one thing I've always loved in the, in the church of Christ and, and what I enjoy doing most of all. You know, we used to joke about it. I'd, sometimes I think every preacher, we ought to have pom-poms, except looking a little weird. Because it's, go, 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 go. Man, I love, you know, it excites me to see you guys have a victory as much as it does me to see. It, it, it's, it's so rewarding to see God move through people's lives. So they were encouraged by that work. And then, um, I want you to look at this sense of abandonment. In verses 8 and 9, it, it describes part of what they had given up. And, and it says, take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag. No money in your belts, wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. So, he says, guys, you are not supposed to take extra food rations. And you're just to take a staff, which there are two words uh, typically that were used for this staff or rod. One is that it was to be used for protection. If you're attacked, you can hit them over the head with it. But the word that is literally used here is a walking stick. Now, this is, you're not to go worrying about what you're going to eat. You're not 
to go worrying about, is this safe? (laughs) But rather, you're to go with the confidence that the one who sends you out will keep you and carry you to the mission that you are going toward. And then he says, no money belts. What was popular uh, among those who would go out for religious calls, they had these money belts and, you know, they hey, you know, we're, we're taking donations <laughs> for our calls and, and for our mission and for our beliefs. And Jesus said, we don't want to be marked by collecting money. We want to be marked by being generous ourselves, by seeing the needs that are out there and seeking and longing to meet those needs that are around us. And then this tunic, and one commentator said this thing was like seven feet and literally what they would do is fold it in half, cut two places for the arms and a place for the head, and whoosh, very simple, you just put that thing down. So there was not elegant clothing, just the most simple, basic thing that you could find and wear. So when they went out, it was in a very simple way, not seeking how they can advance and what they can find and you know, how they can be noticed, but going forth as servants. Thirdly, there was a sense of boldness. Look at verse 12 in our text. It tells us they went out and preached that people should repent. There were two basic words for teaching that are used in the New Testament. One is to lay out there clearly the truth. But the second word goes a little further. It involves laying out there the truth, but with the idea of producing a verdict. In other words, it is not enough to tell you the truth. You must understand that once you know the truth, a decision is necessary. Once you know the truth, the two options become very clear. And to not take a specific option or verdict of believing in Christ is to take an option or to make a decision which is not to follow Jesus Christ. He tells us in uh, Matthew 10, 7, as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I love in the Amplified Classic of Matthew four seventeen. He tells us from that time on, Jesus began to preach, crying out, Repent! That is, change your mind for the better. Hardly amend your ways with abhorrence of your past sins. Man, to follow Christ, to repent, it means that we are to do business before God. To, to come before him seriously, our thinking needs to change. And, and we need to be serious about changing our actions because that is necessary. The verdict is necessary. It is not enough to hear the truth. The truth must become a part of our lives. And then we are told uh, in the text that Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. They didn't create a message. They delivered a message that Jesus had clearly given to them. You know, a preacher's not going to go, 
don't know what I'm going to speak about this week. I've got to be creative. I've got to come up with some idea that's, that's going to touch hearts and that's going to move people. And only if it is in the context of the one who really moves people. It's not the power of my words. It's the power of him who changes our heart. Let, let's look at some responses that the disciples can expect um, that we see in our text um, in Mark 6. Um, he is a manager, but you know, not the type of manager that gives you all the facts and then tells you, just go out there and make me a bunch of money and you know, sell a bunch of this item or this service to other people. Um, matter of fact, two responses here I want to just briefly look at. The first, he tells them when you go out, one response that you can expect, guys, is hospitality. Look at verse 10 of our text. Wear sandals, not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. In other words, as you look around you, check it out and find one who has an interest, one who has a curiosity about what you were saying and stay there and build a bridge with those people, a relationship with those people. Uh, notice the things here. He says to the disciples, choose this place carefully. In verses 5 and 6 of Mark chapter 6, he expands on this. He tells them he could not do any miracle. He cannot do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few people and heal them. And he was amazed on their lack of faith. I was supposed to be in Luke ten. I was thinking, what am I reading here? Sometimes we preachers really mess up. So uh, thank you for a little grace there. Let me get to Luke ten instead of Mark six or whatever it was five and six. When you enter the house, first say. Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. And so the picture there is you go there and you give them the peace of Christ. What I have instilled in you, you share with these guys. You don't walk in there demanding your way. Hey, I'm going to give you a menu. You know, Here's what I like to eat. Uh, good steak, baked potato. It's got to be medium well, okay? I don't and, and, you know, you don't make those kind of demands. I think of a good friend of mine whose sister had come to the house, and she was a little particular. And the problem was when she came in, she wanted to be waited on hand and foot, which wouldn't have been so bad if she had stayed two days, but it took them a month to get her to leave. <laughs> so once they got her to leave, now if they ever think she's coming, they begin to hide. Put down the shades, cut off all the lights, and all of these things. He is saying to his followers, do not make such demands on your host, but be charitable and be gracious and thankful for what they give to you and show a concern for them. In Luke chapter 10, verse 9, he talks about the ministry of healing and teaching the disciples as they are in that home and as they are showing hospitality. Now, secondly... He describes a response they could expect as you may be rejected by others. You may not be received. Look at verse 11 back in Mark chapter 6. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust 
off your feet when you leave as a testimony against me. I believe what he's saying to them is, uh, you know, guys, there, there comes a time where you will not be received, where you be, will be rejected. You know, it, it was interesting in Sunday school, we had a quick lesson I wish could have been developed more, but I appreciate Tracy sharing it. I'd never really thought about it. He said the difference between niceness and kindness. He said when you see Jesus in the New Testament, Tracy pointed out, he's not nice, but he's kind. Manny talked about how niceness oftentimes seems to be superficial. We don't want to ruffle feathers. So we'll be nice. But we're really not doing this out of a heart that's in it. <coughs> you know, underneath, <coughs> you know, you got that grumble. But kindness, on the other hand, it gives what's really needed. Kindness sees the person and gives what that person really needs. And sometimes that may not be a sweet, kind word. You know, it may be, if you keep going down toward this hole, you're going to fall in the hole, you know. And so don't take it personally when you tell the truth. And sometimes loving people involves telling them what they may not really want to hear but sometimes it may not be nice, but it is kind, and that's powerful. Secondly, he implies, Jesus does, that they should not take rejection lightly. This is from Matthew ten fifteen. He says, truly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Why? Because they'll know more. They'll have further revelation than even Sodom and Gomorrah. So when you have more, you know more, you're accountable for more, and so the capacity for greater judgment is there. So it is a serious thing to reject Jesus Christ. It's not to be taken lightly, and it's not about you being rejected or me being rejected. It's about Jesus being rejected. As someone has said, if you meet me and forget me, big deal. But if you meet Christ and you forget him, it's everything. It's the total deal. One commentator has said, be prepared not only for hospitality, but for hostility. <laughs> and that is certainly what they faced. And then the rejoicing that the disciples should experience. Look to, down here to verse 30 of Mark chapter Six it says the the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Now, if we look at the parallel passage in Matthew uh, chapter ten, verses six through eight, Christ specifically told the disciples, "Preach." Then, after you preach, do the miracles. But what happened? When they came back, they reversed the order. Uh, they came back, and this is uh, Luke 10, verse 17. It says, The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us in your name. So Jesus had told them, Preach the message. 
and validation of that message. I will give you authority and I will give you power. But they came back and they were strutting and they were saying, Lord, I wish you could have seen it. I mean, I guess if they had belt where they could take off, he says, look here, I got that's about four demons I called out. Woohoo! Another guy might have said, if you could have just seen this, these people, they needed healing, and it was like, I got it. I can, you know, I can almost see Jesus. Tears. Tears. Really? Guys, oh, golly. <laughs> what, what's happened? In another parallel passage in Luke 10, 18 through 20, He's speaking to the guys, and he says, uh, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nonetheless, do not rejoice in this. Now, one commentator said, when you look at the serpents and the scorpions, it's, it's a reference to the fight against the spiritual realm, against demons, against evil. And Jesus had given them authority and power. But he's basically saying to you, know, you guys are bragging about what you were able to do under my authority and my power. But I was there when Satan was thrust out of heaven. And it was under the authority that I possess, that I have, that he was defeated. And what you should rejoice in is not the authority that I gave you in this battle. What you should rejoice in, that you belong to me. That you are mine. Yes, we are called to do works for Christ. Yes, we are called to be filled with his power. Yes, we are called to go forward in faith and to see him accomplish what cannot be done apart from him. But that can only happen when we understand that we really belong to Jesus Christ. That He has saved us, that He has sanctified us, and that we will be with glory with Him forever. It's a proper understanding, really, from Revelation chapter 20. Uh, this is from chapter 20, verses 12 through 15. And I saw the dead the great and the small standing before the throne. And books were opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Man. So they're before the throne of God. They're expecting to hear, you know, oh yeah, remember that time that, that, that you went to church and, and you gave that big offering or or do you remember that time when, when you served faithfully in, in this capacity? Or remember how you helped that person who was distraught or destitute? Or do you remember that time that you were faithful when it appeared that no one else were faithful? And there, there's that picture of the year before listening and, and waiting for the master of all to brag on you and to point out your faithfulness 
to him. But that is not what happened as they were at the throne. But there was a judgment that was about to happen. Why? Because they missed him. Now, (laughs) the next verse, verse 15, says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So here's the deal. It is not my ability. It is not my authority. It is not the power I think that I possess. It is simply this. Is my name written in the book of life? Do I belong to Christ? Now, drop down a little bit. Revelation 21. This is 23 through 27. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The glory of God is so awesome in Christ Jesus, there are no street lamps up in heaven, because heaven itself is illuminated by the very glory of the Lamb of God. And we will be up there to worship Him for all of time, but that can only occur if our names are written in the book of life by the blood of the Lamb. That's the only way to get there. It is not through our good deeds. It is not through our capacity to be noticed. It's not through our charisma. It's through the cross. It is through Christ and what He has done. text goes on. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so, guys, here's that demand for a verdict. You see, the truth, it is not about how good I can be. It is about the only one who was good dying for me. Power of Christ. Do you know him? Have you trusted in him? Let me close this thing up. (laughs) The rest the disciples should expect. As you drop down to 30 and verse 31, um, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. There's some of you guys that are tired, you're weary, you're exhausted. And I am grateful that we do not have a Savior and Lord who is a taskmaster and says, it's not enough. You got to do more. You got to get on it. But rather, there is a divine balance. There is a time where it is holy to get out of our seats 
and to get on fire for God and to move out in his power. There needs to be more of that out there. I get it. But there is also a time where it is just as holy to take a nap. Robert liked that. (laughs) He must be tired. (laughs) There's a time where it's just as holy to rest in him, guys. And Jesus, he shares that with the guys. You've been out, you've been telling him about all that you've been doing. Just rest. Just rest in me. So, are you in him? And that's where I close this thing. It begins, there's a start to that relationship. It's realizing, I need help. I am a mess. You know, I've told you guys, I, it's funny, over years of preaching, I figured I've, sometimes I think I've really only got two sermons in me. The first sermon is, I'm a mess, you're a mess, we're all a mess. And the second sermon is, he is a great Savior. He is a great Savior. Do you know him? And secondly, if you know him, are you willing to follow? That's what these guys did. They stepped out. Where does he want you to step out? Where does he want me to step out? That is the question that he has for us. Is your name written in the book of life? And are you living by life? Let's pray. God, I thank you for each one who is here today, those who are listening through uh, the internet too and father i just pray that you would move uh, among us lord it is about you it's always been about you and yet we always want to creep on to the stage we always want to find a way to secure a little credit we thank you for your mercy lord you really know us and you really love us and you knew us before you went to the cross And in any way, thank you. Uh, Father, may we just respond to you this morning and to your call as your disciples in faithfulness, Lord. What do you want of us, Lord? May we simply agree with you. Father, may we respond to your word, to your teaching, to your message. So what's the verdict? Is it yes, Jesus, or no? In your name we pray. Amen.